All right, well, thank you, everybody, for coming to the last of the three-part series here I've titled Modern Medium. Uh, this is the last of the Battlefield Hollywood uh, presentations that I'll be giving here at SWYC. And I appreciate all your guys' feedback and uh, your attentiveness and that sort of thing. And has this been helpful to anyone? Amen. All right, praise God, because... Uh, um, yeah, we are definitely are living in the last days, and I totally believe that Hollywood is, is playing its part. So uh, here we're going to just look a little bit uh, more behind um, some of the actors and the writers and how they come about their best performances. So before we start that, we'll uh, start with a word of prayer. Again, Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask for your spirit to be with us in this place. We ask for your protection. Uh, as we look at these things, Lord, we know that uh, the battle that is before us is, is not against flesh and blood, but it is against principalities and powers that are here uh, that wish to deceive us. So, Lord, uh, send your angels to camp around us and keep those spirits that uh, want to keep us in the dark away from us, away from this whole camp, and away from us as we leave here. Lord, just put a hedge of protection around each person in this place, their families, um, and thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness and your mercy. And Lord, open our hearts and our minds to the things that you'd have us know. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So why is it that we worship? Does anybody have any reasons? Why do you think it is that we worship God? Because we were created to worship. She answered it right away, right? Were we not created to worship, yeah. right? It's actually, and, and uh, you, there's an article in here that um, uh, proves that on, uh, from a scientific standpoint. It's interesting. Uh, Revelation 14, 7 through 12. Um, if you guys have your Bibles, you can turn there. And we should all know these, right? The three angels' messages, right? So, the Bible says here, Revelation 14, starting in verse 7. Um, the first angel says, Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and the springs of water, and another angel came, flying in the, uh, uh, saying, Babylon is fallen, the great city, because she has made the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then the third angel followed, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast or the image, or receives his mark, or in his forehead or in his hand, he himself shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength into the cup of his indignation. So, clearly, the, the three angels' message has a lot to do with worship. worship, right? And who we worship, in the end, is going to determine which mark we receive. Um, Matthew 4.10, and Jesus, uh, this is when Jesus was being tempted uh, in the wilderness, right? Jesus said to Satan, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Uh, John 4.23-24, 
But the hour cometh and, and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So if you just look at the definition of spirit, that non-physical part of a person, the seat of our emotions, our character. We are to worship God with our very character. And as He transforms our characters and we become more and more like Christ, that is worship. If you look in the Bible and you look at these, the stories there, they're all there for our, our admonition, right? And for us to learn from. And all throughout the scriptures, there's been uh, false systems of worship that have uh, people have, different individuals and groups have tried to set up. Right there at the very beginning, the first two brothers, uh, Cain and Abel, um, they were instructed to bring a sacrifice to the Lord of a lamb and representing the coming of a Savior, right? And Cain, of course, said, I'm not a, farm, I'm not a, I'm not a, a sheep herder. I'm a farmer. So I don't want to give a sacrifice of a lamb. I want to give a sacrifice of my fruits of my labor, right? And so... Was Cain saying, I'm not going to worship you, God? No. He was saying, I want to worship you, God, but I want to worship you in my way. So, we, and, and clearly from the story, we know that God did not accept Cain's offering. Cain became enraged and ended up killing his brother, becoming so jealous for him. Again, um, in the Old Testament... There at the base of Mount Sinai, the, uh, Moses had gone up to receive the Ten Commandments, and the people became weary, and they thought that Moses had died. And they became disgruntled, and they, they actually wanted to go back to Egypt. There was a huge group of them that wanted to go back to Egypt, if you remember at this point. And they said, well, we can't go back empty-handed. We've got we to gotta, uh, uh, make a God that we can carry with us, say that this is the God that led us out of Egypt. That's what they were saying. And they went to Aaron and they said, Aaron, make us this golden calf. And this is just idol worship that they had learned while being in Egypt. And Aaron, trying to, I mean, obviously he didn't want to do this thing. So he thought he would, he would uh, appeal to their vanity and say, well, yeah, bring me all your jewelry and I'll make this thing. And they willingly brought their jewelry. Okay, well, now I've got to do this. So, <clears throat> and you think about it. I mean... This isn't something that, that he just whipped out in a day. I mean, Aaron probably worked on this thing for a while, right? He had to melt down all that gold and form this thing into a calf. I mean, what a, what a, a, a crazy art project, you know, that probably took him, I don't know how long, to, to put this thing together. And he sets it up. And do, if you remember from the scripture, what did the, what's the Bible say? Aaron told the people, he said, tomorrow come and we are going to worship who? The Lord. the Lord. He said, tomorrow we're going to come and we're going to worship the Lord around this calf. So he tried to sanctify that type of worship and say this is, this is a, a, a God-given thing. And think about that in today's world, right? How many times do we approach worship and we say, you know what? I want to just worship God in this way because I like this style of worship, right? And we are setting ourselves up for all sorts of problems. We should use the Bible and the Bible alone for our rule of of conduct and how we should worship and, and uh, think about those things. Here again in the Old Testament, when the Israelites were there camped on the, 
on the Jordan, about to cross into the Promised Land. And um, if you remember the story of Balaam, and he was uh, commissioned by the Midianite king, Balak, to come and uh, curse the Israelites because he had heard that these people were coming in and he was fearful. Man, these people are going to take over my land. And he knew that uh, Balaam uh, was a prophet, and he, so he, he, you know, asked him to come and curse Israel. And remember, God told him, yes, go, but you're only going to say what I say, what I tell you to say, right? And if you remember, Balaam blessed Israel, right? Three times a blessing um, came out of Balaam's mouth, and Balak was furious and, and, you know, wanted to kill him. And actually, so Balaam actually gave uh, Balak some advice. He said, you know, the Israelites have protection because they worship the one true God. And if you can get them to worship an idol or some other form of worship, they'll fall out of favor with their God and you can defeat them. So I suggest that you send some women down into their camp and invite the young men to some of your guys' worship services and therefore they'll fall into apostasy. And this, is, uh, well, this was a, a great, uh, terrible thing that happened. Lots of thousands of Israelites lost their lives as a result of this apostasy at the Jordan uh, that took place. And at this time there was, uh, remember, these, these, these Israelites were camped just on this side of the Jordan. They could see into the promised land. And here we are at the very end of time. We're spiritual Israel camped on this side of the Jordan. And we can nearly see into the promised land. Amen? Amen. And so Satan knows that. And he is attempting to send, I'm not picking on women, but I'm just, you know, it's part of the story, right? <laughs> send women down into the camp and entice us away from our forms of worship. There was a, a warning that was given about worship there in Deuteronomy chapter 12. Uh, verses 30 through 31. And the Bible says that after they have been destroyed before you, be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about their gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods? We will do the same. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things that the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. So, you know, Satan is just counterfeiting what God is doing. God asked for a sacrifice to represent the coming of the sacrifice, right? And it was, that was a lamb. And Satan has perverted that through time and gotten people, pagan uh, religions and things, to sacrifice their own children. Another excellent story, and actually just, I mean, all these stories are prophetic, really, when you look at them. They can, we can apply them directly to our situation at hand. The... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar setting up the golden image in the plain of Dura. And it should be very sobering to us that that throng was filled with thousands of Israelites and only three stood. So in these last days, remember, the majority is going to be fallen away. And there's a, that's why it's called a remnant, right? That's why it's referred to as a remnant. There's a small few that will actually stand. And uh, we are all called to be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, remember this image Nebuchadnezzar put together, right, based on the dream that God had given him about the history of the kingdoms all the way through time, the head of gold being Babylon. And it was like an arrogant uh, act of uh, Nebuchadnezzar to make the whole image gold, basically saying, my kingdom's going to last till the end of time, right? Um, 
And of course, this was a forced uh, worship by way of the death penalty. And I believe that the Israelites, Isaiah would have uh, been before this time, so I believe that the three Hebrews there had this scripture in mind, right? Having probably read the writings of Isaiah, they had this promise in their heart, and they were not fearful even unto death. Amen? Isaiah chapter 43 Starting in verse 1. There it is. But now thus saith the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, and you are mine. These boys even realized that even though they were in Babylon, and Babylon changed their names... To Babylonian gods, literally, they knew that God had called them and they knew what their true name was and that they bared the name of God and that they were His. And it says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So, these boys knew that. They knew that promise. Hey, man, God's promised. We've walked through the fire. So what? He's going to throw us in the fire? Who cares what's going to happen to us, right? And they went on, actually, they went on to be, I mean, think about what happened there in the plain of Dura, right? Here, I'm going to just go back a slide here before we get to that. They, you think about what took place there. The king brings them up. He says, he was angry, right? He goes, look, guys, I'm going to give you one more chance. When the music plays bow down. And they said, don't, don't even worry about giving us another chance, O king. Throw us in the fire now. Because we're going to worship the one true God, and it's going to be known today that that's what we're going to do, even if we lose our lives. Go ahead, throw us in. And man, he was so angry, commanded his soldiers to heat the fire, the furnace seven times hotter, and those guys who threw those three boys in fell dead from the heat. And then, to the astonishment of everyone witnessing there that day, saw those guys walking around in the fire. The first thing that burns off was a rope. And they stand, they're walking around in the fire, and all of a sudden, there's Christ walking around in the fire with them. And I've often wondered, man, what, what conversation did Christ have with those three guys in that fire? You know what I mean? What an amazing story where three boys literally stood in the presence of God. Stood, I mean, God is an all-consuming fire. And... Do you think uh, they came out of that fire and everybody went back to worshiping the idol? You know? I mean, it was, whoa! And that message went everywhere. These were people from all over the place at this, at this worship service. And they went home and said, you will not believe what we just saw. There is a true living God. And what a witness. Amen? What a witness. So today, and we have this interesting uh, ceremony, Right? It has this big golden image, the Oscars, and um, the one, the only, the Oscars, and it's referred to as a ceremony. It's not the Oscars show, it's the Oscars ceremony. Um, and if you just look up the definition of worship, it's to treat uh, someone or something with reverence or adoration appropriate to a deity. That's the, 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 just a basic um, dictionary definition, to, 
Uh, it's also defined as honor given to someone in recognition for their merit. And is that not what the Oscars is all about? You know, a little patting on each other's back. You did good in this movie, and yeah, you did good right in that one, right? And they give each other awards and honor each other's uh, achievements. And quite literally, people worship people in Hollywood, right? I mean, they're, they're, they, they uh, follow after the life of a star. Um, the Oscar event is typically the second most watched event each year. Roughly 40 million people watch the Oscar uh, Academy Awards. And um, we've kind of looked at those numbers over the years. That was in, in uh, 2007. But uh, it, it's right around there, 41, 43, came back down to 42. It kind of fluctuates uh, just over 40 million people watching that uh, each year. And of course, the number one watch show, the Super Bowl. And everybody knows that. The commercials, that's what keeps us coming, right? Or should not keep us coming. Um, and so we got to be, th think about that, we got to be leery about what the world is following after, you know? Um, and man, the Super Bowl, it's like, uh, uh, I, I was, this youth pastor actually um, came into our office and he said, you know what, this is the last time I am going to hold a Super Bowl party at my house. Amen. Yeah, he goes, I felt so uncomfortable. He said the commercials came on and the concert in the middle and everything. He thought, man, I was just really uncomfortable, you know, hosting this thing at his house. So, um, yeah, it's getting, getting worse. Uh, oh, before we play this, here's, this is the, uh, um, the uh, awards given for television productions. Uh, it's called the Emmys. And uh, this was a number of years ago where uh, John Stewart... And Stephen Colbert got up and announced um, the award for reality TV. And reality TV is hated by people in, in the industry who are working on mainstream, you know, dramatic television shows and movies and things because it's taken a huge piece of the pie. It's, it's kind of ballooned outside all the unions and everything. I worked 10 years in Hollywood not joining a union. So, uh, and it was all in reality television. So... Uh, they're making fun of the fact that there's even an award being given to reality television. So they're making a joke out of this whole thing. And Stephen Colbert, if you, how many of you are familiar with Stephen Colbert and his fake news show, where he is playing a very right-wing, right, Democratic, Republic, I mean, uh, yeah, Democratic Christian. So he's, he's uh, um, it's a character. He's coming out on stage uh, playing, and uh, he's telling a joke. But notice how everybody laughs. And when we laugh at a joke, we agree with that statement is really what we're, is what we're, what we're doing. And so here he's calling Hollywood uh, out for what it is. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here tonight. Good evening, godless sodomites. What are, you, what are you doing? I'm bringing the truth, John. We're in Hollywood, the belly of the beast. You can't just, you can't just read the prompter? I'm reading the prompter in here. 
You can read that pablum. Award show banter is not pablum. Reality television celebrates the human condition. <laughs> by illuminating what's extraordinary in the ordinary person. It warps the minds of our children and weakens the resolve of our allies. Results are often dramatic and always unexpected. We're here to honor achievement in that category. By giving you a golden idol to worship. Kneel before your God, Babylon! Right? And, and notice the image they use there in the Emmys. It's this angel that's holding the world. wonder what angel that is, right? Interesting. Uh, the name Oscar is uh, Scandinavian Old English, and if you just look up the meaning of the name, it means divine strength or divine spear, uh, which is interesting in light of the actual image itself. Uh, it's actually an image that's holding a, a sword that goes all the way to the ground. So it's, that's why its hands are up here. Its hands are on the handle of a sword going all the way to the ground. So here, divine uh, from God or God-like, a spear, a weapon, right? Obviously, a shaft of the with a point, and so we have a godlike weapon, or a divine weapon, I mean, in the meaning of Oscar, right? This is where the Oscars uh, had been held up until 1999. What's this building look like? It looks like a temple. It is a temple. Um, this is the shrine, and it is a Scottish Rite Freemason temple. The founders of the shrine, William uh, Florence and Walter Fleming, were both 32nd degree Scottish Rite Freemasons. And <clears throat> a lot of Hollywood, there's a Masonic ties to all the bigwigs in Hollywood. Gene Autry, John Wayne, Nat King Cole, Duke Ellington, Cecil DeMille, Clark Gable, Walt Disney, Oliver Hardy, right? Um, all the big, big production houses, Lewis Meyer, Jack Warner, Daryl Zinnick, these were all high-ranking Freemasons. And you are not told until you make it to these levels that these guys were at that you are actually in a religion that worships Lucifer by name. In the lower levels of Freemasonry, you're told God and, you know, they, they, they actually, you can't be a Mason if you're an atheist. You have to believe in a God. And um, so you're not told that until you're high up. So these guys are, were fully aware that they were in a religion that worshiped Lucifer by name. Um, these are Masonic tracing boards. They're used as teaching tools uh, for initiates coming into Freemasonry to teach them the, the language of symbology that um, kind of unites uh, the whole uh, ball of wax where across language barriers they can communicate and everything. And if you see these symbols, it's like we own this, right? So, um, and it's, it's, a, it's steeped in astrological worship and all these things. And... Um, that the, the reason the image is doing this is because it's saying what is in the heavens is dictating what is taking place on earth. So, for instance, the reason that there is an upside-down pentagram in the street plan of Washington, D.C. is because that's the procession of a certain star through the heavens makes that pattern on the earth. So um, they believe in uh, star worship, astrological worship, that sort of thing. Um, 
but it's interesting, the, the Masonic temples uh, are, if you talk to a Mason and you ask, where did you guys come up with this idea for the temple? Like, what's, you know, it's laid out like a temple. It's got an altar at one side and all this stuff. And they're like, oh, it's, it's based on Solomon's temple. That's what, that's what you'll be told. But if you remember, God instructed the Israelites to orientate the temple facing a certain direction. With the most holy place at, at what, what direction? Huh? It was actually to the west. So that as the priest went through the sanctuary, his back was to the rising sun. Okay? All the Masonic temples are 180 degrees around and they're facing east. Yeah. So the Masonic temples are facing east as, uh, because it's, it's steeped in astrological worship. And you can see, I mean, they got all the symbols down here and everything, right? It's incorporating all the religions. I mean, there's even a, a cross there, and, and, and you see the symbols of, of the east, you know, the yin and the yang, and, and the crescent moon and the star, and the star of David, which David never used this symbol, right? This came in under his son Solomon um, in, in his, his involvement with the occult uh, at the end of his life. So here is just an example of some of those elements from the Masonic tracing board. You see the arch, you see the checkered uh, uh, pattern there and everything. And basically, when you see that imagery, they're saying, you know, we own this. And when you go into the shrine where they, where they had the Oscars, up on the wall behind the stage and everything, it has all the symbols and everything. I mean, this is, you know, they, they are running this thing. Uh, the the uh, Oscars are now take place in the Kodak Theater. And this is from inside there. You can see the sun motif uh, in the chandelier. Um, this was actually the, this was uh, uh, from the shrine here, the last time that the Oscars were held at the shrine. And you can see all this uh, Masonic tracing board imagery there in the stage. You see the checkered floor and the archway. Um, and in, in uh, so there you can see up against another tracing board. There was from another year, there was actually like a, altar type thing up here with this almost looks like beams of light coming down on an altar. And I mean, look at that. That's almost right from, I mean, there you see the Ark of the Covenant, right? And, um, and they even have Solomon's name, you know, uh, on the thing there. So uh, when you go to the Kodak Theater, you go through this archway here. This is a uh, Hollywood and Highland. And this is the, uh, 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 a gate to Babylon. This is Ishtar's gate, the gate of Ishtar. And this is Isis and Horus, Egyptian gods up here, and all around this whole courtyard, there's these crazy, like, big elephant-looking things with wings and all, this, all these idols and imageries, uh, imagery all around here. And there's the Hollywood sign right through that archway. They framed it perfectly through the Arch of Babylon. And if you actually go right down here, if you walk down this little um, ramp, the handicap ramp, there's a little plaque down there uh, that calls this area the Babylonian court. And it says, oh, it's in a memory of this uh, film that, was, that built the biggest set up to that date. It was a film that was about Babylon, but just interesting uh, architecture they decided to put there in Hollywood and Highland. Um, so here is an artist's rendition of the city of Babylon. Here is the gate of Ishtar. Uh, you can see a, the temple, the, a ziggurat being built in the background there. And this is the beginning of all uh, astrological worship. It was believed that um, when you died, you went into the, into the heavens, into the stars, and this was the beginning of, of ancestor worship and star worship. Revelation 12.4 talks about stars, right? 
and the stars, it says, and his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. So in a biblical sense, we know stars are angels. How art thou fallen from Lucifer, O, o how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into the heavens. I will exalt myself above the stars of God. I will be like the Most High. I, 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 up, 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 right? Right here is the beginning of the desire to be famous. To be more famous than God. Right? Wasn't that Lucifer's desire? He wanted to be he wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted to set his throne above the stars of God. And that's where the beginning of, of this came from. It's interesting. We live in a time when we've got all sorts of stars, right? We've got basketball stars, football stars, music stars, music stars, movie stars, right? And all these stars, they're literally worshipped by people, are they not? Uh, people, we immortalize them in the concrete. Here, even Kermit the Frog, he has his star in uh, the sidewalk of Hollywood Boulevard. And the pentagram itself, interesting, the, the Grammys actually uses the upside-down pentagram as their emblem um, for the music awards. And to an occultist, the upside-down pentagram means the manifestation of Lucifer's kingdom here on earth. That's what the symbol means. So when you see that, kakunk, this industry, this music industry, that's what it's manifesting Lucifer's kingdom here on earth. That's what they're saying with that symbol. Um, if you just look at uh, some of these symbols that are the production companies that make these films, DC Comics, right, has, a, has the crescent moon and star. Um, it represents the moon goddess Diana, uh, the sun of the morning. And uh, witch, white witchcraft, right, good witchcraft, as it's called, uses it uh, with, the, with the star up and to the left. Satanism turns it around down into the right. So this isn't white witchcraft, it's Satanism is what they're basically saying with that emblem there. Uh, Phoenix pictures, legendary pictures, uh, the Phoenix rising from the ashes, a symbol of fire and divinity. This is a belief that, that uh, uh, Ordo Ab Cal, right, out of, out of chaos will come order, that they're going to burn the thing down and they're going to they're uh, bring about the full doctrine of Lucifer is, is what the, the occultists believe in Freemasonry and the Illuminati and that sort of thing. Um, the Celtic knot is the image there that it, legendary pictures in, is using. And it's Mesopotamian in origin. And it's associated with protective spells invoking the gods of the four corners of the earth. It's just interesting that the, em, the emblems and the symbology that uh, these... Uh, production companies use. Here's Jerry Bruckheimer's emblem, and you're going down a road, and a lightning, lightning bolt hits a tree. Um, Jerry Bruckheimer is uh, involved in Kabbalah. He's a you know mystic Jew basically, and uh, in the mystic religion of Kabbalah, the tree signifies self. Enlightenment can strike with all the power of thunder and lightning. Kabbalah too takes the symbolism of lightning as a creative force, uh, as the lightning flash. Descends through the plains, zigzagging between force and form, so the tree takes its shape and structure. So they're basically saying, we're going to enlighten you, right, with our belief, is uh, what they're saying in that, in that symbol there. Um, Columbia 
has this woman holding a torch. There is a goddess named Columbia, and the flaming torch is a symbol of Lucifer. Lucifer, having regained his star and his diadem, will ascend his legions for new works of creation. Attracted by his flaming torch, celestial spirits will descend. Then the torch of Lucifer will signal from heaven to earth, and the new age Christ will answer from earth to heaven. Interesting quote from Mystery Mark of the New Age, page 240. Um, so there you go. That torch is the torch of Lucifer, and it is to herald the coming of the Antichrist, really. And we know that that's exactly what Satan's going to do from Great Controversy, page 624. As the crowning act in the great drama of deception, Satan himself will personate Christ. Interesting there, she used the word personate, not impersonate. Personate. He's, I mean, literally going to appear like Christ, right? The church has long process, professed to look to the Savior's advent as the consummation of their hopes. Now the great deceiver will make it appear that Christ has come. In different parts of the earth, Satan will manifest himself among men as a majestic being of dazzling brightness, resembling the description of the Son of God given by John in Revelation. The glory that surrounds him is unsurpassed by anything that mortal eyes have yet beheld. The shout of triumph rings out upon the air. Christ has come. Christ has come. So we know this is coming. And in 1 Timothy 4.1, the Bible tells us that, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heeds to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And in my personal experience, again, I believe this is truly what happened to me. Because of my involvement and my, my focus on Hollywood and the music of the world and all these things, I, was, I gave heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, and I left the faith. So, um, this is the time in which we live, and it's interesting, talking about worship here, uh, here's an article uh, that we found, let's see, where is this from? This is from uh, Time Magazine, Time, uh, uh, and CNN here. Who among us hasn't fallen victim to a little celebrity worship. And now, new scientific research has found that celebrity crushes are not only common, but maybe even healthy. A study published September 10 suggests that the act of celebrity worship may be a boon to some people's self-esteem. Interesting. The article goes on to say, because people form bonds in their minds, with their favorite celebrities, they are able to assimilate the celebrities' characteristics in themselves and feel better about themselves when they think about that celebrity, says Gabriel. Interesting. Another uh, article, A New Age of Celebrity Worship. Um, the article says here, it's called being starstruck, and it's a phenomenon that's not only bigger than life, it's bigger than ever. You have a confluence uh, of forces coming together, uh, in technology and the media to make it happen and it's worldwide and it's multiplying like lice, says Stuart Fishkoff, PhD spokesperson for American Psych uh, Psychological uh, Association and professor of Emirates of Media Psychology at California State University of Los Angeles. Um, Fishkoff, who has academically studied the cult of celebrity, says that the very need to find an idol and follow him is programmed into our DNA. 
So here's a non-Christian source saying that we are programmed to worship. And that's true, right? I mean, we were created to worship. And if we don't worship God, we will worship something. We'll either worship self, someone else, something, some idea, right? Um, so yeah, right there. Science uh, telling us that we were created to worship. Now, how, are, how is it that these actors and actresses and writers um, write such amazing stories uh, act such amazing performances. Well, here's them t talking about how they uh, bring about their best performances. Here's Denzel Washington in an interview on 60 Minutes talking about his performance in the movie Glory. Uh, it was a while ago where he played a slave. Um, so it's interesting. Here what he says. Basically what I did was got on my knees and sort of communicated with the spirits and when I came out, I was in charge. Powerful scene. Powerful scene. It, it would, I, I couldn't have acted that. I couldn't have written that down and made a decision to play that. Okay. And really what he, was, he believed is he, he was communicating with the spirits of dead slaves. And that they were helping him to bring about this part that was, you know, like he said, I couldn't have acted that. I couldn't have written that down and made a decision to play that. And he's a professed Christian. Denzel Washington is a professed Christian. Yeah. But you can see where, if you don't understand the Bible and what the Bible truly says about the state of the dead, right, that the dead know nothing, how you can get yourself into trouble thinking you're speaking to spirits of dead people. Here's a, a, a quote from Oprah. The one-woman entertainment empire known as Oprah has strong affiliations with the demonic realm. The most familiar face on television says, You cannot only use your body and physical self. This is how I see acting. I ask my body to be the carrier for the spirits of those who have come before me in a way that is most meaningful to the character. Just become the vehicle for that character. Calling out for these entities to take her over so that she may become a sparkling puppet, Oprah admits of her work before the camera. I tried to empty myself and let the spirit inhabit me. With her global influence, her shows have become a smorgasbord for the New Age agenda. A lot of actors um, who don't mention their names, of course, are very much into this. Magic only exists if you allow it, if you open yourself up to the possibility. Interesting, right? A lot of actors are into this, but of course they don't want to, you know, mention that, right? Well, enough of them have mentioned it that we were able to put this presentation together. Uh, <laughs> Aleister Crowley is known as the chief Satanist of our time. Um, this, this guy was a uh, diabolical individual. He actually, his endeavor in life was to become Satan's right-hand man. That was his goal. He signed everything, the beast, 666, that was his signature. And um, his life was, it's, it's really horrible. And it's amazing how many musicians... Uh, people in the entertainment industry follow after this guy and think that he's really, really great, right? Timothy Leary, I uh, saw an interview with him. He said, I'm carrying on the work of Aleister Crowley. That's what Leary said. Um, and and the, the entire 60s revolution, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you can stem it right back to Aleister Crowley. Here he is up in the top left corner of the Beatles' uh, Sgt. Pepper Lonely Heart Band uh, album cover. Um, so these are all the people that influence 
the Beatles. Um, he wrote a book, uh, Magic in Theory and Practice. I have not read this book, but I came across this quote. And it's kind of interesting here. He says that there are three main methods for invoking any deity. Um, the third method is the dramatic and perhaps the most attractive of all, certainly it is so to the artist's temperament, for it appeals to his imagination through his aesthetic sense. Uh, and Socrates basically saying the same thing. In like manner, the muse, first of all, inspires men herself because they are inspired and possessed. They are, they are simply inspired to utter that which the muse impels them. For not by art or knowledge do you say what you say, but by possession. So this is something that goes all the way back to Socrates' time, and he's referring to acting here. The muse was that spirit that would, that would you know, bring about creative undertakings and things. Um, it's where we get the word music. It's um, interesting. Uh, Rudolf Valentino was the Brad Pitt of the early uh, 1900s. Uh, he lived a very short life from 1995, or 1895 to 1926. Um, he, uh, all his films were really pushing the, the boundaries that uh, were established in America uh, based on Christian values and that sort of thing. And these were silent films. And people flocked to see these things. And when he came around, it was, it was I mean, this was the biggest actor of, of uh, the early part of the century. And... Um, it's interesting that every night, Valentino's wife, Natasha, would hold a seance, calling forth help from the spirit war world in her creative undertaking. Then, pencil and paper in hand, she would go into a trance and start writing. This is known as automated writing. After her outpourings uh, were typed up, they were brought to the set the next day and given to the director, and these were the films that her husband played in. So even those storylines back then were not even from a human mind. His wife held a seance every night to get these ideas and these scripts. Mae West, this is uh, just before Marilyn Monroe's time. This, is, uh, this woman is known as a one-woman sexual revolution. That's her, that's her tagline. Every single film she made was about sex outside of marriage. Uh, the sensational Mae West, uh, I'm no angel. This is a quote from uh, a book, Guide to Health and Happiness, by King, Kenny Kingston, who was her psychic. And this is what he said. He said, um, when she was upset that no one had been able to come up with a script idea, she walked about her room saying, forces, forces, come to me and help me write a script. The force, that's what occultists, I mean, that's why that is in there in the Star Wars uh, trilogy, because... Um, uh, the force is what occultists refer to as their, the spirit guides that, and you can use the force for good, you can use it for bad. You can be a white witch or you can be a dark witch. Um, uh, she would begin to hear voices and images as the plot was revealed to her. May would summon stenographers to work with her around the clock as she would lie in bed in a trance-like state dictating as the spirits entered. Um, Marilyn Monroe, a famous quote from her, uh, in a book, Goddess, page five here from Anthony Summers, it says that she says, Jekyll and Hyde, more than two. I'm so many people, they shock me sometimes. I wish it was just me. So she was tormented. She was tormented by these uh, spirits. Um, Kenny Kingston actually was her psychic as well. And I used, to have an, I used to have a clip in here, and it got corrupted, and I need to find it again, um, where he talked about 
um, Marilyn Monroe uh, being kind of a very just kind of boring person really until a camera appeared. And any camera, still camera, movie camera, whatever, and she'd just pop alive and, and the second the shot was over, she'd go back into her kind of not so interesting self. Yeah. So, um, yeah, interesting. Last day events, uh, Ellen White tells us on page 87 that among the most dangerous resorts for pleasure is the theater. And she's talking about, yeah, just the, uh, uh, a, a live performance theater, right? Not even a, a movie theater. She hadn't even, there, wasn't, there was no movies during her lifetime. Um, instead of being a school of morality and virtue, as it is so often claimed, how many times do we go, oh, it's a good moral. That was a good, really good moral in that movie, right? Um, it is the very hotbed of immorality. Vicious habits and sinful propensities are strengthened and confirmed by these entertainments. Low songs, lewd gestures, expressions, and attitudes deprave the imagination and debase the morals. I Love Lucy. I have watched every episode of I Love Lucy. Yeah. I used to love this show. I thought it was so funny. And actually, um, I Love Lucy is the longest running television show ever. It has never gone off the air. Every day, an episode of I Love Lucy broadcast is still on. And interesting, I mean, what was it really about? And how did Lucy uh, uh, get this job is kind of interesting. Uh, Carol Lombard was a friend of Lucille Ball's. Uh, it was the spirit of actress Carol Lombard who guided Lucille Ball into taking a chance of television and accepting the offer to star in I Love Lucy. Uh, um, Lucille Ball was a, uh, a, a movie actress at this time, and it was considered career suicide to go from the big silver screen down to the little fuzzy one. And so she was resisting this until this spirit came uh, her friend appeared to her and urged her uh, to, to take this job. The glamorous comedian who had died in an airplane crash uh, of, of 1942 appeared to Lucy in 1951. Because Lucille Ball accepted the spirit's urging to take a chance, honey, she made television history. Um, that's from Hollywood and the Supernatural by Steger, uh, page 206. Hey, I'll tell him the truth. Don't you dare! Right? And there's the whole premise of the whole show. Tell them the truth. Don't you dare. I mean, it was always about her constantly lying and keeping the truth from her husband and from her neighbors, wrapped in the garb of laughter. Right? Laughter is the sugar coating that we've taken down. The, I mean, it's just, I mean, we just, America was, was taught. Yeah, we laughed and laughed. And we, we were taught how to be dishonest. Really. I mean, you know, how to be dishonest and be funny about it. That, oh, a little white lie here and there is no big deal. Interesting. Alan Ball is a writer. He wrote uh, a movie called American Beauty, um, which is not very beautiful at all. Um, horrible film, actually. Uh, I, I, I ended up seeing that film way, way back in the, when it came out. Um, and Amazon.com uh, asked him, the writing feels very cathartic. Did it come quickly? Alan Ball says, yeah, I just got in the zone, and it seemed to have a life of its own. The characters seemed so real, and it was like channeling. Um, that woman who wrote the Harry Potter series, right? I mean, you think about when those, if you go look at research when those books came out, I mean, they came out one after another. 
just like this, just boom, 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 boom. And she's a professed witch. She says she's a witch. And all the stuff that's in there, I mean, it's real witchcraft in those, those movies, right? Um, and I, yeah, she's, she, I'm sure, channeled a lot of those as well. Same with the Twilight series, that woman who wrote the Twilight series. Um, Stephanie Myers, there was a, uh, she had a dream, right? And she said she would wake up in the middle of the night, she'd have this tablet next to the side of the bed, and she said she could barely keep up with the images and the characters, and it was just pouring out of her. Yeah, where did that come from? And, uh, Entertainment Weekly writes about you that you are a generously unvain actor, so appealing in midlife spread. In other words, you had to gain, gain some weight and kind of channel this kind of sadness, really. Yeah. Uh, it's very powerful the way you do it because it's about a guy who redeems himself, who finds basically redemption. Mm-hmm. Who are you channeling? Were you channeling Christopher's? Were you channeling Johnny Cash? No, a bit, yeah, a bit, yeah. In my long career, I've played so many extraordinary women that uh, basically I'm getting mistaken for one. And <laughs> no, really, I have a bit, I'm very clear about the fact that I'm the vessel for other people's stories and other women's lives. I try to allow the spirit of the character to live through me. So I just try to encompass and allow myself, I'm almost the vehicle to channel the spirit of the character through. I mean, that's the whole basis of acting. If you go take acting classes and, and all this, right, it's, it's, it's all about how to get into the character, how to let the spirit of the character inhabit you. Interesting. And Bridges, wasn't that interesting, right there at the beginning, saying, you know, she's asking, did you channel Johnny Cash, you know? And he's like, yeah, a bit, yeah, you know? Um, that's what they, these actors believe that is taking place. Um, that clip got in there again. Uh, a new voice for the, for the Toy Story favorite. Um, Jim Varney, uh, who starred the Slinky Dog uh, in this franchise, died. Um, and then they needed to make... Uh, he died uh, uh, not too long after Toy Story 2, and when they, when they wanted to make the third movie, they're like, oh no, who are we going to have to do the Slinky Dog? Well, they just got um, his friend, uh, Blake, and it says that, as it turns out, uh, Clark actually knew the late actor, um, so he was friends with him. He, uh, we were really excited when we found out that Blake was actually friends with Jim Varney, um, they, they knew each other from way back, and it says, and when I'm in the recording sessions with Blake, he just channels the spirit of his friend Jim Varney, and he's done a really awesome job at keeping the character alive, and I hope you guys feel the same. And they say when you listen to it, it, it sounds, exa- I mean, you can't even tell it's not Jim Varney. Right? I mean, the demons, that's the, think about it. Their, their favorite thing to do is what? Act. Um, yeah. Hypocrite. Hypocrite, right? That's where we get the word. They, I mean, they can reenact any person from any point in history perfectly. In Roger Murnau's book, A Trip into the Supernatural, if you guys remember reading that, where he talks about um, uh, all the different people in that house that, 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 that Satan had given certain powers to and whatever, right? And there was a, there was a historian, a famous French historian, that, uh, or a history teacher that, that was part of this occult. And, his, and he, he was famous for his, his writings about French history and everything. And this is what he would do. He would go into a room. He would have a few uh, mediums there. And he would say, I want to hear Napoleon talking to his general on such and such a date. 
spirits would come into these people, this conversation would happen, he'd write it down. Because they were there, you know? And, and so, yeah, their, their favorite thing to do is to reenact like people uh, that we know and to deceive us using that. Peter Sellers um, was a completely washed up actor until he understood this fact. Uh, he said, it's rather like being a medium and laying yourself wide open and saying, I want a character to inhabit my body or I want a spirit to take charge of me so that I can produce what I hope to produce, which is really good acting. And he shot right to the top. This is one of the highest paid actors during his time, yeah, once he realized this. If you remember him from uh, the Pink Panther series. Right, the late Robin Williams um, said this to uh, Us Magazine, yeah, literally, it's like possession. All of a sudden, you're in. You just get this energy, and it starts going. But there's also that thing. It is possession. In the old days, you'd have burned for it. But there is something empowering about it. I mean, it is a place where you are totally, it is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, where you really can become this other force. Interesting. I used to think, man, how is this guy so amazing? How is he so funny? Well, here he is admitting it. It wasn't him. It wasn't him. The director, uh, Agneska Holland, from, uh, he directed a movie called Total Eclipse, said that Leo is like a medium. He opens his body and mind to receive messages coming from another person's life. Uh, the director of Romeo and, uh, and Juliet, uh, Baz Luhrmann, said that with Leo, you might see 30 people come out of him in a day. Interesting. Um, the director, Taylor Hackford of The Devil's Advocate, uh, told movie, movie Line, uh, Keanu Reeves is a very complex guy with lots of demons in him, and I was trying to tap and utilize that. Interesting. Johnny Depp says, I know I have demons. I am 30 people sometimes, he told Us Magazine. Um, another quote from him uh, in Vanity Fair, 1997, February 97. I know I have demons, and I don't know if I want to get rid of them entirely, but I would like to experience them in a different way. Because he probably uh, feels a bit uh, used and confused as well. I've actually, uh, uh, Brandon had a friend that uh, there was a film being filmed in Montana somewhere, and it was a Johnny Depp movie, and he, this guy, his friend of Brandon's, got to go and be an extra on the film. And he thought, oh, this is great. I'm going to get to meet Johnny Depp and everything. And he said he was the weirdest guy. He just walked around babbling to himself the whole time. And then when the shot was ready, he'd come alive. He'd come, he'd do the shot. And the second it was over, he was off in his own little world just talking to himself, just back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sal Morgan in the Los Angeles Times said that Heath's creepy performance, he's talking about Heath's performance in uh, Batman as the Joker, uh, Heath's creepy performance seems to have summoned up demons no one could have imagined accessible to him. That's because the Joker is the most diabolical character in the entire superhero genre. Because the Joker, if you remember, remember this, and this film had, it was steeped with with um, tarot cards. And remember, the Joker's always leaving a card, right? And, and, and he, he, uh, the Joker, our, our modern-day playing cards, 
actually come from tarot cards. That's why they're arranged in four suits. There's four seasons. It's all astrological and all these things, right? But remember, in the deck of cards, the joker doesn't play, right? The joker doesn't play in the game. The tarot card, the joker, is known as the fool. And that's Christ. This is Christ in the occult belief. He's the joker. Yeah. If you remember from the previews to this... Yeah, this is, again, this is a whole Gnostic, you know inversion uh, of the great controversy and the joker is who they're saying Christ is he's the one that doesn't play in the game he's the one that just wants to see the world burn if you remember from the previews from this film there was a, a preview where um, uh, Alfred is telling uh, Bruce Wayne some men uh, can't be reasoned with they can't you know be reckoned with some men are just want to watch the world burn and I mean that's what they're saying they're saying God just wants to watch the world burn. That's why the film Noah is demonizing God. God just wants to kill everyone with a flood. Right? Interesting. Uh, here's another actor um, talking about his um, um, path to stardom. It's interesting your, your path to, to acting because you, you're a journalism student, aren't you? So I'm still on hold. My journalism is still on hold. I, I literally was just putting it off. So I took a few part-time classes and worked at a gym. And at the gym, I met this woman who, this isn't a lie, it sounds like a made-up story, but I was, I was actually joining her up and she was looking at me and she just went, oh. right then I said, is everything all right? She said, you don't understand, I'm a white witch. <laughs> You've got to get into acting, immediately. I said, well, I'm doing a few part-time classes, it's funny you should mention it. She said, no, 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 you're going to be a big star and I want you to meet this woman, Penny Williams. I said, who's Penny Williams? She says, she's an agent. Well, I met her, and she's still my agent. And the day after, I did an audition and got landed a role on Neighbours. Uh, and Penny Williams um, actually is a professed white witch as well. So interesting uh, that, 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 yeah, I mean, her spirit guide all of a sudden informed her, hey, tell that guy he needs to get into acting and introduce him to Peggy. I mean, that's why she had that little realization there, right? Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 20 through 22 says that, But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. I would not that ye shall have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So, you know, there's, you, you can't, have a, oops, sorry, can't have a blending of the two, right? Um, here's an int another interesting uh, 60 Minutes interview. You still on tour? I do, but I don't take it for granted. Why do you still do it? Why are you still out here? Well, it goes back to the destiny thing. You know, I made a bargain with it, you know, a long time ago, and I'm holding up my hand. What was your bargain? To get where... Uh, I am now. Should I ask who you made the bargain with? <laughs> with, 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 you know, with the chief, uh, chief commander. On this earth? <laughs> and in this earth and in, uh, and in a world we can't see. You notice that? Bob Dylan talking about how his, he uh, uh, made a deal with the devil to get where he's at. And he's holding up his end of the bargain. A lot of these people believe that they've actually sold their soul uh, which is impossible, right? Can we sell our soul? Is that something we can sell? 
You know, God has already purchased us. Amen. Amen. You can't sell that. We're 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 owned. Um, we we're out of time, so I'm actually gonna um, skip through this here. If you guys uh, want, you can. I'll I'll, I'll get to the end here. Um, this is a, a a recording of a guy named John Todd, who in the 70s he came out of uh, cultism and into the Baptist movement, and um, he sat on this council of 13 as a high druid priest, which oversaw all the concert agent booking agencies in the U.S., Motown Records, Columbia Records, RCA Records. He acted as the managing president of a company called Zodiac Productions. And so he got to know a lot of people in the industry, and he got to know the workings of the industry. And he said that in the top rooms of all these temple, or of all these uh, um, recording uh, skyscrapers, you know, RCA Records and Motown and Columbia, is a temple room where when the master of a record is cut, they bring the master in on an altar and they bring in a, a coven of witches and wizards and they conjure spirits into the master to, and they command this, those spirits to command every spirit that comes off that master uh, to follow every copy that comes off that master. And he said, rock and roll music is not just music. It is a supernatural spell because a witch cannot cast a spell on you, if you're a believing, believing Christian, believing in God, you, a spell won't work. But if you choose to play the spell to yourself, then the spell will work. And, and he says that that's the reason uh, for rock and roll music. And um, if you've got some rock albums at your place, he says you can go and you can count at least how many demons you have there. Interesting. So um, a, lot, a lot of those uh, uh, recordings are on YouTube. I found those on YouTube. His name is John Todd, T-O-D-D. Um, Interesting uh, testimony there. Very similar to Walter Veith uh, in, 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 his, in his revealing of the Illuminati and Freemasonry and all that. Uh, Anton LaVey, this is the guy who started the Satanist church, right? His quote about the television is, The television is a major mainstream infiltration for the new satanic religion. Uh, the TV set or satanic family altar has grown more elaborate since the uh, early 50s. From tiny fuzzy screens to huge entertainment centers covering entire walls with several TV monitors. What started as an innocent respite from everyday life has become in itself a, re- a replacement for real life for millions. A major religion of the masses. Deuteronomy 11.16 warns us to be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. We are on this side of the Jordan. I mean, we're literally about to cross into the promised land. And Satan has literally created a device that is in our very camp, in our very homes, he can come into through that thing. Never at a time in history has Satan been able to speak through a a megaphone like he has now to the entire world. You think about these films that are blockbusters, the entire world watches them and are all on the same page. Interesting. So, Lord... I just want to pray, if we bow our heads here, I just want to pray that, Lord, you protect us from the things that, that we've watched. Protect us from the things that are out there that we're not completely aware of, Lord. Because we know that we are living in Satan's world. But we know that you are ultimately in control, Lord. Amen. And you are allowing these things to take place to bring about a revelation of your true character. And so, Lord, as we, as we go from this mountaintop experience, may we, 
May we fully understand that we are just, we are on the brink of eternity, Lord. We are standing on this side of the Jordan. We can see into the promised land. Lord, guide us and protect us in these last days. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.